section seventeen of curiosities of literature volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by annie hill curiosities of literature volume three by isaac disraeli section seventeen political forgeries and fictions a writer whose learning gives value to his eloquence in his brampton lectures has censured with that liberal spirit so friendly to the cause of truth the calumnies and rumours of parties which are still industriously retailed though they have been often confuted forged documents are still referred to or tales unsupported by evidence are confidently quoted mr heber's subject confined his inquiries to theological history he has told us that augustine is not ashamed in his dispute with faustus to take advantage of the popular slanders against the followers of mains though his own experience for he had himself been of that sect was sufficient to detect this falsehood footnote eighty four the romanists in spite of satisfactory answers have continued to urge against the english protestant the romance of parker's consecration and footnote eighty four while the protestant persists in falsely imputing to the catholic public formularies the systematic omission of the second commandment the calumnies of rimius and stinstra against the moravian brethren are cases in point continues mr heber no one now believes them yet they once could deceive even warburton we may also add the obsolete calumny of jews crucifying boys of which a monument raised to hugh of lincoln perpetuates the memory and which a modern historian records without any scruple of doubt several authorities which are cited on this occasion amount only to the single one of matthew paris who gives it as a popular rumour footnote eighty five such accusations usually happened when the jews were too rich and the king was too poor End footnote eighty five the falsehoods and forgeries raised by parties are overwhelming it startles a philosopher in the calm of his study when he discovers how writers who we may presume are searchers after truth should in fact turn out to be searchers after the grossest fictions this alters the habits of the literary man it is an unnatural depravity of his pursuits and it proves that the personal is too apt to predominate over the literary character i have already touched on the main point of the present article in the one on political names i have there shown how political calumny appears to have been reduced to an art one of its branches would be that of converting forgeries and fiction into historical authorities when one nation is at war with another there is no doubt that the two governments connive at and often encourage the most atrocious libels on each other to madden the people to preserve their independence and contribute cheerfully to the expenses of war france and england formerly complained of holland the athenians employed the same policy against the macedonians and persians such is the origin of a vast number of suppositious papers and volumes which sometimes 
at a remote date confound the labours of the honest historian and too often serve the purposes of the dishonest with whom they become authorities the crude and suspicious libels which were drawn out of their obscurity in cromwell's time against james i have overloaded the character of that monarch yet are now eagerly referred to by party writers though in their own days they were obsolete and doubtful during the civil wars of charles i such spurious documents exist in the forms of speeches which were never spoken of letters never written by the names subscribed printed declarations never declared battles never fought and victories never obtained such is the language of rushworth who complains of this evil spirit of party forgeries while he himself suspected of having rescinded or suppressed whatever was not agreeable to his patron cromwell a curious and perhaps a necessary list might be drawn up of political forgeries of our own which have been sometimes referred to as genuine but which are the inventions of wits and satirists bale ingeniously observes that at the close of every century such productions should be branded by a skilful discriminator to save the future inquirer from errors he can hardly avoid how many are still kept in error by the satires of the sixteenth century those of the present age will be no less active in future ages for they will still be preserved in public libraries the art and skill with which some have fabricated a forged narrative render its detection almost hopeless when the young maitland the brother to the secretary in order to palliate the crime of the assassination of the regent murray was employed to draw up a pretended conference between him knox and others to stigmatize them by the odium of advising to dethrone the young monarch and to substitute the regent for their sovereign maitland produced so dramatic a performance by giving to each person his peculiar mode of expression that this circumstance long baffled the incredulity of those who could not in consequence deny the truth of a narrative apparently so correct in its particulars the fiction of the warming-pan enclosing the young pretender brought more adherence to the cause of the whigs than the bill of rights observes lord john russell among such party narratives the horrid tale of the bloody colonel kirk has been worked up by hume with all his eloquence and pathos and from its interest no suspicion has arisen of its truth yet so far as it concerns kirk or the reign of james the second or even english history it is as ritson too honestly expressed it an impudent and barefaced lie the simple fact is told by kennett in a few words he probably was aware of the nature of this political fiction hume was not indeed himself the fabricator of the tale but he had not any historical authority the origin of this fable was probably a pious fraud of the whig party to whom kirk had rendered himself odious at that moment stories still more terrifying were greedily swallowed and which ritson insinuates have become a part of the history of england the original story related more circumstantially though not more affectingly nor perhaps more truly may be found in wanley's wonders of the little world 
which i give relieving it from the tediousness of old wanley a governor of zealand under the bold duke of burgundy had in vain sought to seduce the affections of the beautiful wife of a citizen the governor imprisons the husband on an accusation of treason and when the wife appeared as the suppliant the governor after no brief eloquence succeeded as a lover on the plea that her husband's life could only be spared by her compliance the woman in tears and in aversion and not without a hope of vengeance only delayed lost her honour pointing to the prison the governor told her if you seek your husband enter there and take him along with you the wife in the bitterness of her thoughts yet not without the consolation that she had snatched her husband from the grave passed into the prison there in a cell to her astonishment and horror she beheld the corpse of her husband laid out in a coffin ready for burial mourning over it she at length returned to the governor fiercely exclaiming you have kept your word you have restored to me my husband and be assured the favour shall be repaid the inhuman villain terrified in the presence of his intrepid victim attempted to appease her vengeance and more to win her to his wishes returning home she assembled her friends revealed her whole story and under their protection she appealed to charles the bold a strict lover of justice and who now awarded a singular but exemplary catastrophe the duke first commanded that the criminal governor should instantly marry the woman who he had made a widow and at the same time sign his will with a clause importing that should he die before his lady he constituted her his heiress all this was concealed from both sides rather to satisfy the duke than the parties themselves this done the unhappy woman was dismissed alone the governor was conducted to the prison to suffer the same death he had inflicted on the husband of his wife and when this lady was desired once more to enter the prison she beheld her second husband headless in his coffin as she had her first such extraordinary incidences in so short a period overpowered the feeble frame of the sufferer she died leaving a son who inherited the rich accession of fortune so fatally obtained by his injured and suffering mother such is the tale of which the party story of kirk appeared to ritson to have been a rifacimento but it is rather the foundation than the superstructure this critic was right in the general but not in the particular it was not necessary to point out the present source when so many others of a parallel nature exist this tale universally told mr deuce considers as the original of measure for measure and was probably some traditional event for it appears some time with a change of names and places without any of incident it always turns on a soldier a brother or a husband executed and a wife a sister a deceived victim to save them from death it was therefore easily transferred to kirk and pomfret's poem of cruelty and lust long made the story popular it could only have been in this form that it reached the historian who it must be observed introduces it as a story commonly told of him 
but popular tragic romances should not enter into the dusty documents of a history of england and much less be particularly specified in the index belleforest in his old version of the tale has even the circumstance of the captain who having seduced the wife under the promise to save her husband's life exhibited him soon afterwards through the window of her apartment suspended on a gibbet this forms the horrid incident in the history of the bloody colonel and served the purpose of a party who wished to bury him in odium kirk was a soldier of fortune and a loose liver and a great blusterer who would sometimes threaten to decimate his own regiment but it is said to have forgotten the menace the next day footnote eighty seven hateful as such military men will always be in the present instance colonel kirk has been shamefully calumniated by poets and historians who suffer themselves to be duped by the forgery of political parties End of footnote eighty seven while we are detecting a source of error into which the party feelings of modern historians may lead them let us confess that they are far more valuable than the ancient for us to at least the ancients have written history without producing authorities modern historians must furnish their readers with the truest means to become their critics by providing them with their authorities and it is only by judiciously appreciating these that we may confidently accept their discoveries unquestionably the ancients have often introduced into their histories many tales similar to the story of kirk popular or party forgeries the mellifluous copiousness of levy conceals many a tale of wonder the graver of tacitus etches many a fatal stroke and the secret history of suetonius too often raises a suspicion of those whispers quid rex in aurum regne dixerit quid juno fabuleta sit cum jove it is certain that plutarch has often told and varied too in the telling the same story which he has applied to different persons a critic in the ritsonian style has said of the grave plutarch mendix il plutarchus qui vitas oratorum dolis et error ibus consutas olim conscrib elavi that lying plutarch who formerly scribbled the lives of the orators made up of falsities and blunders there is in italian a scarce book of better design than execution of the abbot lancelotti farfalloni degli antici historici flimflams of the ancients modern historians have to dispute their passage to immortality step by step and however fervid be their eloquence their real test as to value must be brought to the humble references in their margin yet these must not terminate our inquiries for in tracing a story to its original source we shall find that fictions have been sometimes grafted on truths or hearsays and to separate them as they appeared in their first stage is the pride and glory of learned criticism footnote eighty four absurdly reported to have taken place at a meeting in the nags head tavern cheapside footnote eighty five m michael published in paris in eighteen thirty four a collection of poems and ballads concerning hugh of lincoln which were all very popular at home and abroad in the middle ages one of these preserved in an anglo-norman 
museum in the bibliothèque royale at paris was evidently constructed to be sung by the people soon after the event which is stated to have happened in the reign of our henry the third but there are many ballads comparatively modern which show how carefully the story was kept before the populace and may be seen in the collections of bishop percy jameson motherwell and c footnote eighty seven a story still more absurd was connected with the name of colonel lunsford a soldier who consistently defended charles i and was killed in sixteen forty three it is related by eckhard as reported of him that he would kill and eat the children of the opposite party this horridly grotesque imputation has been preserved in the political ballads and poetry of the day cleveland ridicules it in one of his poems where he makes a roundhead declare he swore he saw when lunsford fell a child's arm in his pocket End of footnotes. End of section seventeen